Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside... Connor Baltazor. And today, we're going to be previewing the matchup between Kansas State and the Texas Tech Red Raiders down in Lubbock. Let's just go ahead and get right into it by looking at last year's numbers. I'll take the offensive, you'll take the defensive. So... They were a 4-6 team last year with a 3-6 conference record, 1,628 rushing yards at a clip of 4.8 per, 17 rushing touchdowns, 2,667 passing yards at a clip of 6.7 per attempt, 11 passing interceptions, a 65% completion percentage, 18 passing touchdowns, a third down percentage of 36.91, 16 sacks allowed, 29.1 points per game, and a total of 291 points. So, as you can tell, they had a weird amount of rushing touchdowns last year. I don't have an explanation for it, I just know it happened. And they also were mostly a team that dominated through the air, and that's how Texas Tech has always been. Yeah, that and also uh, they threw quite a few interceptions comparatively to the amount of passing touchdowns that they had. Oh yeah, don't worry. You have the turnover differential. Yes, I just noticed it. So. <laughs> Alright, so points per game defensively, they gave 36.7 points per game for 367 points against them, which is just absolutely atrocious. Yeah. And they gave up 2,585 passing yards and 17 touchdowns, and then they gave up 1,864 rushing yards, and 24 rushing touchdowns, which is just abysmal. Their red zone percentage was 65%. They had five interceptions and five fumble recoveries as a defense, 17 sacks, and their turnover differential was minus nine. (laughs) Yikes. So most of these stats, these, these stats for the most part are not great, but they're not awful especially in like the yardage allowed it's comparable to what they did offensively but it's the turnovers that just killed them down the stretch yeah absolutely and in terms of notable returners and new people adding to the team well we were going to say tyler shuck who was the starter transfer from oregon but he broke his collarbone so that doesn't matter uh so roderick thompson who is their leading rusher returns eric Enzukanma or izukanma the wide receiver who was the leading receiver, uh, Krishan, Krishan Merriweather. I still have trouble seeing from down here because I'm blind. Their linebacker and leading tackler, Demarcus Fields, their defensive back, leader in passes defense, and Henry Columbi, their quarterback and current starter due to injury. And they lose. Yeah, they lost Zach McPherson uh, as cornerback. He was an interception leader. He was drafted. And they lost guard Jack Anderson. He also got drafted. And I imagine they are really missing him right now. So we'll get into that later. Yeah. As for the schedule, they are coming in at a 5-2 and two total record with 2-2 two and two in conference. The two losses are to Texas and TCU. Both were very convincing losses. Yeah, they, they this Texas Tech team, they haven't lost a ton this year, but when they have lost, they have lost. Mm-hmm. It's been blowouts both times that they have lost this year. So, Yeah, so like I said, they're 5-2 and two with a 2-2 two and two conference record, currently at 1,178 rushing yards at a rushing per attempt of straight up 5. 2,008 passing yards at 9.21 per attempt, 7 interceptions to 10 passing touchdowns, a third down per, oh, 20 rushing touchdowns, a third down percentage of 49.4%, averaging 35.7 points per game with 250 points for and 220 points against with a minus 4 turnover differential. Still can't get out of the still can't get out of their own way there. 11 total sacks. And in terms of red zone defense, they are giving up 72% on touchdowns, which is well below average, and scoring touchdowns at 67%, which is roughly average. Now, some stuff that stands out here to me uh, is they have, of course, significantly more passing yards than rushing yards, but uh, in terms of touchdowns, they double up uh, rushing touchdowns to passing touchdowns. There's 20 rushing touchdowns to just 10 passing touchdowns. So that says a lot about their scheme. 
when they're going to get close. The closer they get to the end zone, they're just going to try and run it in, unlike the Texas Tech teams of old that were basically throw, 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 throw all the time. So that's an interesting way to look at it. Also, their third down percentage is excellent, which is very concerning considering K-State's third down defense the last few games has been abysmal. And then, like you said, they cannot get out of their own way. Their turnover differential is not very good. Luckily for them, it hasn't come to bite them yet, but it's. I, I think the other shoe is going to drop for them eventually because it's not sustainable to have a minus four turnover differential. And they only have 11 sacks through six games, or seven games. So that is not good at all. Yeah. So a lot of big question marks with this team. A few things that just raise eyebrows generally, but there are some things that stand out that show why they're five and two. So. Yeah. So we got specific game notes for two games. We I, we watched three. I had a I can talk, I swear. The first specific game notes that we have is for Houston. I'll let you cover the stats here since I covered all of them in the total season. Sure. Uh, offensively in this game, they had 145 rushing yards. They averaged 5.17 yards per attempt. And they had 231 passing yards, 9.6 yards per attempt. They had one touchdown, no interceptions, and then they had three rushing touchdowns, 40% conversion percentage on third down, and they allowed three sacks. Defensively, they had 77 rush yards and one rushing touchdown, 174 pass yards, and uh, they gave up two passing touchdowns through the air. So defensively, they actually are pretty good uh, yardage-wise, or at the very least, they did down the stretch. Uh, they had four picks as a defense in this and game. And yet still have a negative four turnover differential. Yep. They recovered no fumbles, and they had four sacks in this game, which is incredible because that means that in the last six games, they've had a total of seven sacks, which is just abysmal. So the I, I'm trying to think of things to say about this game other than it was very it was just a weird game. It was a very strange game. Yep. And we'll, we'll trade off on notes. Uh, it's worth noting that this game was started by Shuck, so it's not the holistic offense that you would see. That was my knee. That It's not the holistic offense that you will see with Columbia. But uh, you thought this next fact was really funny. Yeah, they did not get the ball on offense until there were just two minutes and four seconds left in the first quarter because of a series of unfortunate events, it sounds like. <laughs> That's so. one way to say it. Yeah, it was, what, a muffed punt, and then... Uh, it was a muffed kickoff. Oh, it was a muffed kickoff. Okay, that's really weird. And <laughs> uh, then something, just two really long drives from Houston. Because so, Houston got up in this game very quickly. They were up 21-7 for a while, and they were about to run away with it. And then they threw four interceptions. Yep. So. <laughs> yeah, Texas Tech offensively is still very much a spread team that plays very, very fast. With very with one to no tight ends on most plays, whole lot of RPOs and screen passes, which is uh, mildly concerning, we'll say. And if you play off coverage, you're going to get dinked and dunked down the field just by by virtue of them wanting to throw a lot of screens. Yeah, that those last two points there, uh, those are really concerning, especially especially the last one because KSA has been doing a lot of playing off here recently especially uh in the middle they seem to play very soft coverage uh the outside is not the problem really like until we get safeties on people on the boundaries the but the boundary corners aren't the problem but if we're playing off with other people they're just going to dink and dunk us to death like iowa state and know you just did so but uh there are some weak spots in this offense that are very obvious um their right tackle caleb rogers number 76 uh he gets caught with his feet asleep very 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 often there you're gonna notice a theme about the (laughs) offensive line (laughs) throughout this episode so stay tuned yeah but texas tech does still have a couple of really good offensive weapons first one that comes to mind is wide receiver eric azukanma number 13 he's by far their most shining example of a playmaker I was originally going to say Taj Brooks, their running back, number 28, but he is going to be out for the foreseeable future, so will not be playing against K-State. But he's also a good playmaker. And then one last point about the offense is that unlike a lot of Texas Tech teams that we've been used to seeing over the last decade and a half-ish, 
is that this is a offense that's really based on efficiency as opposed to the big play. They're not going to get to the line and constantly air it out. They'll do that, but they're not going to be as constant. This isn't the air raid of the Baker Mayfield, Patrick Mahomes, Graham Harrell, uh, um, Seth Dagey era at Texas Tech. This is uh, it's, it's much more focused on RPO and stuff yeah. like that. It's quick, easy plays that are going to get them down the field not slowly, but not as not as just lightning fast as they have in the past. Yeah. So defensively, uh, knock knock, who's there? It's another three three five team, just like most of the Big Twelve. In fact, the only one that comes to my mind off the top of my head that doesn't run a three three five is West Virginia, and they run a hybrid. I was gonna say I thought West Virginia ran a three three five. Did they switch it up? They do, but it's they also run hybrid. They uh, run okay. more three three five, but they also play does a K- decent amount. Does KU run three three five? Who cares? Okay. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't miss a beat on that one. But, yeah, they, they run a lot of three three five. but They also run a lot of dime, and in this game in particular, ran a really strange 2-4-5 look. And, but, nevertheless, at minimum, they always have one linebacker walked up. So this isn't a three three five stack team. They always just find one way to get a linebacker on the line. Yeah, um, speaking of linebackers, uh, they're very commonly going to send them on blitzes. It's pretty similar to Iowa State, but it's more stunty. So Yeah, that's a word. <laughs> yeah, it's hyphenated, so I guess we'll, we'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Yeah. Uh, their run discipline was really bad this game, especially on like options and counter plays. Yeah, they don't handle misdirection very well at all, nor do they handle the outside run very well. Uh, their defensive backs, uh, they show some flashes of being really great athletes, especially Demarcus Fields, number twenty-three. However, they are lacking in the technique department. So, and that's a bit of a common theme as well with the defensive backs. Even though this is notes from one game, uh, this carries through several others. So. Yeah, they're predominantly a two-high safety team with a decent blend of single high. They weren't exactly the most intricate teams in terms of coverage either. A lot of man with some Tampa 2 and cover 4 for flavor, and then occasionally some cover 3. Yep. Their defensive line is not explosive, and they were just utterly dominated by a Houston offensive line that is just aggressively okay. Yeah. And uh, their pass rush is not really great from any of their defensive linemen either, based off what we saw in this Houston game. Yeah. Also worth noting, uh, chalk this up as a positive, all of Houston's points came in the first half. Yeah, not sure what to make of that. Um, I think at least part of it has to be luck because four picks. Like, come yeah, on. Yeah, and two like, of them were drops. Yeah, two of them were drops. One of them was just awful. Like, when they were in desperation, though, they threw a pick six, I think. Yeah. Like, they were backed up at, like, their own, like, ten. No, they were in their own end zone. <laughs> yeah, I think it was to Jeffers, too. I think so, it was, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, so, this game ended up being pretty, pretty close to a blowout for Tech, but... It goes. It's worth noting that there was a point in time in this game where it looked like Tech was going to get blown out, and then Houston snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. So, yeah. Now we can go into the specific game notes for West Virginia, in which offensively there were 80 yards for Tech at an average of 2.6 yards per carry. <sighs> Yikes! 266 passing yards at a clip of 7.17. Zero passing touchdowns, one interception, two rushing touchdowns, a 57% third down conversion rate, and three sacks allowed. Yeah, and then defensively, they gave up 94 rush yards and one rushing touchdown, and they gave up 330 passing yards and a passing touchdown to Jared Jared Dagey. Jared Dagey is basically take like your cookie-cutter Big 12 quarterback but make him worse. That's pretty much Jarrett Dagey. Also Brock Purdy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But, yeah. The trolling never stops. It, it never ends. It's a, it's a year-round occupation. <laughs> and then defensively, they also had two sacks, and they recovered a fumble. So. Yep. Offensively, they still focused a lot on efficiency and RPOs. That's just their game now. Yeah, and then... Um, they also got themselves into a lot of third and manageable downs, which is really interesting considering that they only averaged 2.6 yards per rush 
and their pass offense for tech standards wasn't anything particularly special. So, and they had no passing touchdowns either. So it's, it's really interesting that the third down percentage was so high. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, by the way, their offensive line was really, really bad this game, like almost comically bad. <laughs> yep. Uh, Columbia, um, he did not step into his throws this game whatsoever he almost seemed to enjoy it he was doing it so much so (laughs) yeah and interestingly they used a little bit of qb run this game but not with columbia they used it with a number seven donovan smith i think they did the same thing with us last year i i don't remember at all the presence of any qb run from tech but that's mainly because I was just, like, gripping the edge of the bleacher because, like, that was when Skyler got hurt. And I was like, and this was, like, before Deuce was Deuce. Like, he was almost Deuce, but this was the game that made him Deuce. Yeah. Like, I would say, so. Yeah. But, yeah, and then um, they also, one more note on the offense, they were not running their offense as quickly as they normally do in this game, which tells me that they weren't confident in their ability to slow down West Virginia's offense, which Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> that that's, is that, con- that's bad. <laughs> yeah, that might be a problem. Yeah. So. Yeah, on and on defense, they notably still play with their linebackers walked up. That's not going to change much. Uh, they played a lot more match three than they have previously. They still are a man coverage team uh, most of the time, but they just played more match three this week. Yeah. And when they played zone, they left the underneath zones wide, wide open. A K State moment. Yeah, other gap discipline was also not very good this game. Uh, K-State, K-State moment. moment. Their linemen are still all right run defenders, which, honestly, that's kind yeah, of a K-State yeah, moment. That's a K-State moment. So. Uh, oh, I skipped that one. My bad. Yes. Uh, the short passing game was their kryptonite this game. K-State, K-State moment. moment. And the field was more effective at tackling Daigie than Tech was. Okay, that's not a K-State moment. That's not a K-State moment. moment. Like, Woo! <laughs> But yeah, there was a, a lot of uh, KC moments in that defensive roundup there. Bad gap discipline, leaving the underneath stuff wide open, a short passing game killed them. KC moments right K-State there. <laughs> yeah, so now let's get into the general takeaways that you can take from each and every position. Starting with the quarterbacks, as we mentioned, Shuck is out. He broke his collarbone and won't be back until November. So in steps number three, Henry Columbi, who is, uh, let's put it kindly, not the greatest reader of defenses. In fact, uh, reading more than one or two, if that second read is on the same side, is uh, it's it's not happening. Yep. Um, his arm talent, uh, as we've observed, is pretty below average. Uh, he wasn't awful against us last year, but they were giving him a lot of short stuff to work with. Like, he wasn't doing anything particularly crazy. Uh, his mobility is a plus, and his pocket presence is its not bad. Not bad at all, so. Yeah. In terms of accuracy, he's all right. He's not great. He's not pinpoint accurate, and he's not, you know, overthrow everyone by 87 yards. But he's fine. He'll have his moments of really bad accuracy, but those are mostly to the sidelines where it's harmless. And um, he wasn't asked to make many intermediate throws, mostly just throw it within five yards or chuck it deep. Someone's down there. Yeah, that's kind of become Tech's offense recently. Uh, Not as much of the air raid really just hitting the uh, intermediate to open up the deep and stuff like that. Like, just, like, pass it everywhere, basically, is what they were doing. They've gotten more selective uh, with what they've done, I would say. Yeah. Uh, that takes us to uh, their running backs. Uh, they're all pretty solid receiving options. Uh, you have uh, Sir Roderick Thompson is the one that stands out, at least to me. Uh, he's the name I see the most on the stat line for Tech. Uh, he's a pretty quality back. Yeah. And Taj Brooks is out, so... He was their leading rusher, and then Sir Roderick Thompson stepped in after he got hurt. Yeah. That's really all there is to say about the running backs. Yeah. Uh, then at wide receiver, um, they are a group that is very surprisingly good at breaking tackles, which is surprising given that most of them are not very large. No. They're, they're actually quite small, most of their receivers. So. Yeah, I think other than... 
Izukanma, the other two starters that come to mind are both 5'10". Mm-hmm. Which isn't, like, short. Yeah, it's not atrocious or anything. Like, But it's pretty short for a starting wide receiver. Like, And especially starting wide receivers that aren't on the level of, like, Kiki Cutie at Texas Tech. Like, he was very short, but he also was very effective, so. Yeah. On the whole, they're very, I'd say, I would change the word from decent to good route runners, likely due to most of their lower weight and size, but that's just for their most productive members. They still do have people over six foot. Ezukanma, I think, is 6'3". And they have other receivers that are like 6'1", 6'4", and then I think there's two who are actually 6'4". They don't see the field all that much, so. Yeah, and then um, they're the greatest uh, asset uh, that the, those receivers have is the run after the catch. Uh, they are very very good at rack. They they, they rack up those run after catch yards. I'm ah. sorry, it, it was right there. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. So in terms of specific players, their best player is Eric Ezukanma who's probably their best player on the team, honestly. He's more of a playmaker than a typical true number one wide receiver, but that being said, he's still remarkably good at what he does, which is being that playmaker deep. Think of him like a, like how Tyreek Hill was used in his first couple of years with the Chiefs, where he wasn't quite trusted to be a pure receiver, so he was more of a returner and a guy they would use on gadget plays, except for in college, so therefore, Ezukanma will be used more as a pure receiver. And he has been a bit dinged up this year, though. So watch that. Another one of their receivers is Kalen Geiger, number 10. Uh, he's a shockingly good route runner in the short game. Yeah, you can take the next receiver as well. And then they have number 11, McLean Mannix. He's surprisingly fast, uh, but he does have pretty inconsistent hands. So that. That's it for uh, the receivers. <laughs> <laughs> and tight end. The, the starter they have is very large, but he's not very commonly used. That's really all I had to say. Yeah, the tight end's not really of note for uh, for Texas Tech. No. So. And now... <laughs> this, is the, this is the unit that we may have the most fun talking about. Because if it really gives K State a shot to win this game with a single unit, <laughs> yeah, it does. Their offensive line is there's there's no way to get around it. They're really, 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 really bad, and I don't even mean that in like they're bad relative to college football lines. No, they're they're just bad in general. <laughs> they're not very technically sound and they're not exactly the greatest anchors and if you're gonna pick if those are the two qualifiers and you pick none of them oh boy (laughs) yeah um they're not very good finishers either they they kind of get in people's ways and then they just kind of move on that's it they they do very little (laughs) yeah so now let's break down the unit Position by position. Starting with right tackle number 76, Caleb Rogers. Um, yeah, if you take the outside against him and pass rush, you win. It, it doesn't matter. I probably could do it. <laughs> I, it. It does not matter how good or bad you are. If you take the outside or start taking the outside and then decide you want to go inside, he'll give you that too. He's a generous guy. Yep. Um, he doesn't so much kick into his pass blocks as he does shuffle. If you're not familiar with lineman form, you're supposed to kick into the pass block. He He's starting at a power five level, and he just doesn't do that. That's something I learned in middle school. He, he I, legitimately shuffles. Like, it's, it's one, two, three step. Like, his first step is with his inside foot as a tackle. Yeah, I... The, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he also has a really bad problem with ducking his head. Um, Now, you may think we're being too mean and think that we should say anything positive about these players. Unfortunately, there is not much positive to say. And this is a theme that goes into the right guard as well. Ethan... 
Card. Card, yeah, Ethan Card. Yeah, he gets caught reaching on a lot of his blocks, which is not what you want to do as a lineman. Yeah, he's not a very good lateral mover in the zone runs either. Just, just can't move laterally. Yeah. And uh, if you decide to attack the gap and not him, uh, he loses. He just he just loses. Yeah. Uh, pretty uh, uneventful end to the right side of the line. Maybe things will get better if we move to the center. Ooh. <laughs> and their center is number 50, Josh Berger. Uh, Which he, is, is a great, great name. name. It's a great name. Not a great player. No, unfortunately. It, yeah, in terms of, like, physical strength he is probably their weakest player in the unit and it's pretty obvious yeah but despite that he's probably their most technically sound lineman which the the bar is low the bar is very low but he's not technically bad and he's definitely the best lateral mover on the team but again the bar is very low it's very, very low bar there for Mr. Josh Berger. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, Josh. Man. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, then at left guard, they have number 70, Weston Wright. Uh, he gets bullied in one-on-one situations often. Yeah. To put it nicely. Yeah. And if you hit him with an arm over move, he's very likely to just fall on his face. I've watched it happen. It's very funny. Yeah, this, it's the same thing with a push pull. Uh, Weston's getting bullied by a defensive lineman. Poor Weston. He didn't deserve this. Yeah. Yeah, it's very sad to see. But... You can take the left tackle in general. It just... okay. <laughs> so left tackle, they have number 51. His name is TJ Stormont. Uh, he has some of the worst hand placements on earth, for especially for a power five left tackle. My God, it's bad. And uh, that's partnered with uh, some of the worst footwork <laughs> we've ever seen. This this offensive line is very bad. Yeah, like there's no they. I'm gonna say it. They have a worse line than KU does. It's that bad. KU's offensive line is exceptionally terrible. And Texas Tech's is beyond. It's incalculably awful. Yeah. Especially for Power 5 standards. This would be a bad G5 line. This would be a below average FCS line. Yeah. Like, this is the worst line we've seen, and I'm including Southern Illinois. Like, the only advantage that they would have on Southern Illinois is, like, pure they're size. Bigger. Yeah, they're larger. And that's it. But don't worry. Because we call them bad, they're going to come out and just... Yeah. Absolutely plow K State for no reason. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because we because we have said that they are bad. They're about to come out and have the game of their life. So we'll have to prepare ourselves for that. But basically, oh boy, yeah, oh boy. But Felix and UDK should have a field day. So should Timmy. Timmy should absolutely murder Josh Berger. <laughs> he should eat Josh Berger alive. Like Ethan Card. Like literally, he just needs to just shoot. The gap between center and right guard. Yep. Every Gone time. forever. That's it. That's it. He that's, he needs to do that every single time. Wesson Wright, who cares? No one cares about him. <laughs> <laughs> like, he just needs to get past Josh Berger because he is so much stronger than him. It's not even funny. And Ethan Card can't defend the gap. Timmy Horn should finish this game with, like, eight sacks. <laughs> <laughs> In conclusion. Timmy Horn will walk away in one game, earning Big 12 Defensive Lineman of the Year. <laughs> if it weren't for Felix and Udike having, like, 10 sacks. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of defensive line, let's talk about Texas Tech's defensive line. On the whole, they're not very good, nor are they very explosive. Starting to notice a theme here. Yeah, they play almost every down like it's a passing down, which that the only time that's good is when you're playing NCAA football 14 and you're just controlling your defensive end. Yeah. That's the only time that this is a viable strategy. Yep. So, yeah, they're not great like sealers in run defense. Like they'll play their gap, but if you ask them to seal the edge, no, not happening. And then a um, nose guard, they have number 95, Jalen Hutchings. Uh, he's a really big guy. He's a captain for a reason. He's surprisingly quick for his large frame. He's the best of the starters. On the D-line, yeah. Yeah. And then 
You have the, the twin defensive ends. They're not actually twins, but they're both defensive ends. You have Tyree Wilson. And he tries to use power. This is the only note. I only have one note each for these guys. Uh, Tyree Wilson tries to use power rushes while not being very powerful. And Devin Drew, number 90, he's he's bad. He's really He's really, not really good. not good at all. So now we're seeing... like. K-State should dominate this game in the trenches, basically, is what is being said. Yeah. And it K-State should win at the line 10 times out of 10 in this game. Maybe 9 times out of 10 for being generous. Yeah, because, you know, you know, you know things happen. loses. Yeah, things happen in college sports. Like, you're not going to win every rep. But this should, in general, be a dominating game for K-State and the trenches, which is nice to hear after uh, last week. So, Yeah. So... Linebackers are the group that I was probably most verbose about. And that's uh, just starting off from the top. They're solid tacklers, and they, if given the opportunity, they will hit you, and it will hurt. Yep. In the run game, though, they are very often caught looking in the wrong spot. So they can hit really hard, uh, but but they aren't always going to be given the opportunity because they they don't have the best. They aren't the most disciplined, is what we're saying, basically. Yeah. And uh, filling their gap is also a problem that they have, with uh, gap soundness not really being their forte. And then another thing that is important to mention is that if the offense uses any sort of misdirection, the linebackers just get destroyed. It does not matter. They mentally cannot handle misdirection. If you start going one way and then go the other way, they they do not know what change of direction is. They will just run in the first direction until they literally cannot anymore. Yeah. So. That might be a bit of hyperbole. I, I don't know. <laughs> They'll just keep going. Yeah, to their credit, they're, re- they're really not bad blitzers. They're actually pretty good at blitzing. They are very good at timing the snap. And despite them not being the best at some things, they play with a very fast motor. So it's not like they're just lazy. It's just that they, they, they it's just they haven't been coached well in discipline department. Yeah, they're playing too fast, basically. Yeah. And kind of going alongside that, even though they're not great with gap discipline, shedding blocks is their weakest part. If you get an offensive lineman to the second level, odds are that second level is going to be a non-factor. Yep. Noah Johnson on his way to cut block two people at the same time. That I would love to see that again. <laughs> then number 17, Colin Schooler. He is probably their best backer in coverage. Uh, this is that he keeps his eyes up for other players outside his zone, and um, he prepares for the throw to them. So pretty decent yeah that's what i call covering players and not grass yeah which a lot of people just cover grass and zone without realizing anyway yeah so actually good coverage (laughs) instincts so yeah and they'll step up before out meaning that running the ball to the outside is they're going they're always going to be a step or two behind yep so basically what we're setting up here is that a misdirection or like a counter off tackle Will just massacre the front seven of this of this defense, or jet sweep. The jet sweep will destroy them. There are many things about this defense in the front. Oh, I guess it's six. Uh, yeah, because three, three, five. Um, that will just really annihilate them. Like it's simple stuff that we should be able to incorporate pretty easily into the offense. Yeah, and now defensive backs. They're surprisingly solid tacklers, which is not something that you expect to hear. Yeah, and then with that, we we have a very specific complaint about them. It's that they are awful at getting off blocks again. Outside runs will just destroy this entire defensive unit. I get that we like a gap power. I don't care. We simply do not care. Jet sweeps, counters, off tackle, just halfback sweeps. Jack's Deneen sweeps. <laughs> Speed option. I don't care. Something that gets us to the outside. Throw in some misdirection as well to spice it up a little. Like, just going to annihilate this defense. And at least on paper. 
like I want to put that disclaimer in there. Yeah, on paper, <laughs> is a very important part of it. They're very solid athletes across the board. I'd say very good to great athletes are basically their entire defensive backs room. They might even be like they're probably better athletes defensively than Iowa State's defensive backs were, which is saying something because they they weren't slouches, but they no. were great. No, not at all. Uh, and then they uh, they also lost a their their starting safety transfer uh, from Duke. Uh, uh, don't remember injured. his name. I do not either. He was injured. So yeah, but they're not exactly the greatest at tracking the ball when it's up in the air. And uh, there's one person in particular that we should probably be aiming for. Yeah, it's Adrian Fry, number seven. Uh, he can be picked on very easily, especially when he's in man coverage, which is something that Texas Tech likes to run. So yeah, we we can definitely. We can, we can run some things on Adrian Fry, for sure. Absolutely. Now let's talk about their play calling. Let's start offensively. In the run game, they perform more zone than gap runs. Yeah, and passing-wise, uh, they will prioritize efficiency over their chunk plays. It's, I'd imagine because they know their pass blocking is just utterly awful. But they still like their chunk plays. It's still Texas Tech to some degree, but it's watered down Texas Tech compared to what they were. Yeah. Defensively, they're still a 3-3-5 team that chains up their linebacker positions nearly every play. And it, their fronts are genuinely fascinating to me. Sometimes they line up in a Sam look, which is just the Sam linebacker walked up to either side. Sometimes they'll walk up in a double B-gap look, which is... I've seen some people refer to it as a sugar look. I think that's disgusting. So I just call it double B-gap, where they have a linebacker in each of the B-gaps. And sometimes they'll just walk up with both the Sam and the Will, and sometimes they'll do none of those things and find some new way and invent a brand new defensive front right in front of you. Yeah, they they like experimenting with things, all to not get to the quarterback at, yep. in the end of the day anyways. Yep. So, <laughs> not sure how much it's helping them. Uh, but they are a surprisingly decent run defense team unless you use misdirection. Or going outside. If you go outside or use misdirection, they're screwed. But if you go inside, they're serviceable. They're they're not a bad run defense by any stretch of the imagination if you keep to very traditional forms of running the ball, which makes me a little sad. I'm a little uh, but we did concerned. we did run more sweeps than I've seen us run in a while last week. We were getting guys, we were getting linemen outside. So if we can just continue that against Tech, throw in a couple of counter plays. We ran a few against Iowa State. We should do very well. Yeah. Blitzing is a really big part of their overall game plan, as is with most of the Big 12. But Tech especially, they like mixing up stunts with blitzes and... Yeah, they just, if they're not sent, they don't really like sending three. They prefer sending four or five. Yep. Uh, they also like to blitz bail, uh, but they'll still blitz from some other looks as well. So. Yeah. So, another thing is they tend to stunt on one side. Well, I already mentioned that. Never mind. Uh, Coverage-wise, it's a lot of man and a lot of cover four. They don't play that obnoxious three-high safety look a lot, but it may look like it because their slot corner, for some reason, plays in outer space next to the safeties, which doesn't make sense because he then proceeds to walk down to cover the slot receiver. Yeah, Uh, we were trying to figure that out. It seems like a massive waste of energy for the slot corner. Like, just start high and then go low. By God, he's not going to get beat deep. Yeah, it's I I don't get it at all. They didn't ask me. Maybe there's some rhyme or reason for it. I don't see it. But yeah. they also ran that a bit more than they did anywhere else against West Virginia. So take that for what you will. So now let's get into the stories going into the game. And for the first time, we will actually be covering what was said in the Chris Kleiman press conference. I'll let you handle most of this since I think you're more vocal about it than I am. Do you wanna you wanna start reading the first one, or do you just want me to like? Do you want me to? Do you want to let me know whenever you want to take one, or? 
how I mean I'm looking at these and I think that I think you have more to say about most of it than I do uh, just because I'm not as upset as you about the big thing like I'll definitely let you take this first one like okay yeah like if, if you want I'll tell you what I can do okay I will say the thing from the press conference and then you respond Ooh, oh, okay do you, do you like that format? I like that yeah, format. As we plan the show in front of everybody. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Here's the first point from the press conference that Chris Kleiman had today on Tuesday, October 19th, 2021, the year of our Lord. He's, he said 18 to 22-year-olds cannot take negativity. What are your thoughts on this, Ace? Okay. So the context of the question was that the media needs to be more positive because 18 to 22-year-olds cannot take all that negativity coming at them from all different directions. On one hand, I understand what he's saying. I hate the fact that he said it, but it's a stance that we've taken on Will Howard, telling people to stop, just stop crapping on him for no reason. That being said, to simply say that 18 to 22-year-olds cannot handle that negativity is baffling to me and it brings the exact same energy of the 2007 i think mike gundy press conference where he comes out and says come after me i'm a man i'm 40 i i don't i don't like that because i was of course i have to bring this up i was 16 when i went to nationals in forensics and i got reamed by people on a national level I got heavily criticized. I was 16 at the time. I could take it. I was fine. And even doing this show, we have a bunch of people trolling us, and we just think it's funny. Yeah, we, we've recently acquired some haters from the uh, the corn state. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I've enjoyed every second of it. <laughs> yeah, like, I, at, at what point do you just have to take over, just tell everyone to shut out the noise? Because the media is going to do what they want. We're going to say what we want. We're in that age group. <laughs> yeah. Like, we are 18 to 22-year-olds that are being criticized right now. And, like, we can we can take it, like, especially because we know that, like, the criticism from those haters are it's just kind of dumb anyways. So it doesn't have any credence. And normally we're getting constructive criticism anyways. Yeah. Like, and it's not like people in the media are, like, going out of their way to, like, just, like, hate players. Like, it's not like Kellis Robinette's, like, writing columns where he says, like, I think that Deuce Vaughn is an idiot or something like that. And he's, like, a bad football player. Like, he's not saying that. No, like, I... Like, 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 nobody's criticizing anybody on a personal level. Like, in fact, most of the players really aren't being criticized at all by members of the media. Like, I would say. It's mainly, uh, like, certain sects of fans. Yeah. I would say. Like, I... I, I just take exception to the wording of 18 to 22-year-olds cannot handle that negativity because yeah. they can. It's just up to the coaches to – and, and the, here here's a simple solution to this that makes everyone happy. Give people something positive to talk about. We've lost eight straight conference games. We've opened our conference slate 0-3. It doesn't matter who we played. No one's going to be happy after that. Yeah. I – I'm not freaking out about this as much as a lot of people are, and you aren't either. Like, there's people taking it way worse than you were. And, like, I, especially when you watch the video, it's not as bad. It's still not good. No, it's still not a great look, but it's not, like, him it, trying to coddle yeah, his players. Yeah, like, I saw people online saying that, like, this was, like, the reason to fire him or something like that. No. Like, that was not, like, those four were, like, 18 and 22-year-olds, like, those like four words right there. Those are not worth fifteen million dollars a buyout. So no, like this is like it's a gaffe. It's not a scandal. I this is something that only K State media and maybe a few nosy KU fans will remember. Like maybe some Iowa State fans that like just like have something to, like hold over us. But like because they have nothing better yeah, to do. That's a little rent free, honestly. To like remember very odd press conference moments. Yeah, like. Because like it's not even bad. It's just it's just a weird look. It's I I wouldn't have said it. I wish he wouldn't have said it. Yeah. But I'm 
I'm very simply just going to move on from this because I don't, as, as long as this just doesn't become consistent, I don't really care that he like put his foot in his mouth in the press conference once. Yeah. Because he has not really done that at all. No. Yet. Like, and we remember how Bill Snyder's interacting with media at the you end of his time. You won. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I would prefer that answer, though. At least that's funny. That is, that is true. At least it is funny. But, like, yeah, like, comparatively, Kleiman has had essentially no negative interactions with media. He hand, he handles media very well. So, like, one slip up, just because it's, like, in a string of losses, I'm really not, I'm not going to lose sleep over this at all yeah so with that being said though like of course it's still a dumb thing to say yeah it it makes sense he thinks it i would probably think if i were the head coach i wouldn't want people coming after my players if i'm spending a bunch of time with them but you can't say it yeah but you can't say that and most people aren't yeah like we like we were remarkably negative in the iowa state episode but none of that was directed towards the players. Basically, I, I think all of our ire was at the coaches, except for maybe Skyler's pick. Even that, that, but that, that, was that, was, like, that wasn't ire. That happens. Yeah, it? like like it was a bad throw. He had quite a few good throws in that game, and most of the mistakes were not his fault. So, like, Skyler played, like, a pretty all right game. <laughs> so, yeah. it, was coach, it was a bad coaching game. Yeah, anyway, we're yeah, giving we'll this on. way more credence than it probably deserves. Yeah, it's just the topic of the day, so... But we'll move on to the next point, and I'll read it for you. Uh, we've got so many players that can make plays. It just depends on the play. What do you think about this, Ace? The context of the question was, what do you do to scheme players open? And that's the only reason why I take exception to the answer. And I, because the point of offensive play calling is to scheme someone open. That's the entire point. You don't just go out there and say, okay, here's a here's a play call. Here's A-gap power. Like, no, you have to pick someone that you want to have a certain play for. Like, for example, you run a flood concept. That's a slot receiver concept. So you probably want to get the ball to Phillip Brooks in that case. Or if you want to run mesh, you can either have it be the outside receiver Malik Knowles or have it be Bebe. I just, the idea that they're not scheming specific plays for specific players, I understand because they want their offense to be modular, but at the exact same time, that's kind of the point. Right. Like I, I like you said, I get what he's saying here. Like, I think it's ultimately climbing just trying to say like oh you know there's not i think this is climbing just trying to be like we don't pick favorites in this office there's not specific players we're trying to scheme open like we just like have specific plays where they work for a position as opposed to a guy mm-hmm. i i think that, that he just said it really badly yeah. like this is again another thing that i'm not too worried about but with that being said like he says it really poorly and the point of offense like you said is to get people open and he either misinterpreted the question or just had a bad answer for it granted this kind of seems like a wash of a press conference because it was like pretty remarkably bad for a guy who generally has had pretty good press conferences this is among the more stressful times in his tenure i would say where the heat's really turning up for him so yeah yeah you ready to move on from that one yep we can move on to this next one then um Quote from Kleiman from the press conference, we as coaches have to put our players in better positions in reference to the defense. What are your thoughts? I can't say exactly what I wrote, but yeah, yeah, you do. I agree. (laughs) Let's just move on. Yes. Yes, you do. All right, here is the next one, another quote from Kleiman. We need to simplify our defensive scheme to get more speed. What do you think about this, Ace? Well, you had a pretty simple scheme when you ran a 4-2-5, but that's not the reality we have anymore. So, I, I like it if it adds more speed, because speed on defense is better than not having speed on defense. Yep. Don't try to outthink yourself or your opponent, just outspeed them instead. Yep. And we need to get back to the level of team speed we had against Stanford, because, my God, the defense was flying just all over the field that day. Like, and I would imagine they probably kept the scheme pretty simple that day because that was their first game running 3-3-5 in live action. So they probably kept it relatively simple, I would imagine. Yep. So then we have 
another quote here. This one's just kind of funny. <laughs> he says, we have our turbo offense installed, ran it a lot in Iowa State. No, you didn't. <laughs> I would first like to say that the fact he calls it turbo offense is very funny. <laughs> it's not a hurry up. Yeah. It's not NASCAR. It's turbo. <laughs> yeah, like, it's there's nothing wrong with it. It's just a funny way to say it. That's all. You can continue now. <laughs> yeah, like, there's... He also said there's no set score to start running their hurry up offense. It was working when it was done towards the end of the Iowa State game, and I know it was garbage time, but it was working. And mm-hmm. if it's installed, I mean, if it's getting you points. Yeah, like, the the turbo offense, as he calls it, appears to be very efficient. So I'm, I'm wondering why we don't use it more often. Like, I'm thinking of end-of-the-half situations where we knee it out with, like, just under two minutes to go <laughs> yeah and like we just kind of run the ball see if anything happens nothing ever does so we just kind of go to halftime it's like you know maybe turbo offense time <laughs> yeah maybe and that that's pretty much all we had to say for the press conference except for the fact that he referenced shuck and and columbia but i'm pretty sure like shuck's not gonna play i'm not worried about either of them being particularly elite no. Shuck is not a great quarterback. Honestly, I'd be more worried about Columbia than Shuck. Like, yeah. Shuck is not very good. He transferred from Oregon for a reason, even though he had a good year statistically. They were not sad to see him go to Oregon. No. So. Yeah. So, another the let's get into the actual game stories. There are actually remarkably few this week. Uh, this isn't a question. This is a statement. Whoever's playing Will Linebacker, please, please, Step back instead of forward so we don't get dotted by the RPO slant every play. I'm trying to mentally prepare myself for us getting destroyed by the slant anyways. But I'd rather it didn't happen and our will linebacker drop regardless. That's my thoughts on it. Yeah. Uh, Another story to look at. Is can K State recover from being completely and utterly outcoached by Iowa State? God, I hope so. If we get outcoached by Matt Wells, huh. I think there's a near zero chance that we get outcoached by Matt Wells and company. If we do, I'm scared. I there's genuine concerns. Like I'm not at the point of burning it down yet. I know after last week, a lot of people were, I think cooler heads have prevailed since then. But if we lose to tech, unless they went out and go 10 and two, which then, okay. <laughs> they go, no, they have to run the gauntlet. They still have to face Oki, Oklahoma and Iowa. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. If they run the table, then I'll be like, all right, fair enough. We lost on the road to, to a good play. team, but that's not the expectation at this time. So, I will be very worried if we lose to them. But I don't anticipate that we'll be outcoached. I think we have a better coaching staff than Texas Tech. I think Chris Kleiman is a much better head coach than Matt Wells. I agree. So, so next question is, what defensive group will step up for K-State? I'll, I'll say the defensive line, if not because any other answer would make me sound like an insane person. I think it has to be D-line, not only because our D-line has generally been good, less so recently uh, due to some pretty key injuries, but it's not only that, it's also that Texas Tech's offensive line is going to be the worst one that we see all year. Uh, Felix Anudike, like I said earlier, he should have a field day against Texas Tech. I expect double-digit sacks from him alone, bare minimum. Otherwise, revoke a scholarship. Okay. <laughs> but kidding aside, I think that the defensive line should have a great day. Timmy Horn will literally eat Josh Berger alive. And <laughs> I, I'm hoping the defensive ends will have a good day. Hopefully, Boom Massey is able to return from his injury. It's either going to be this week or the following week against TCU. That remains to be seen. Yeah. You got the last one. 
Yep. The last one is, will we spot and take advantage of Texas Tech's weaknesses? We have not done a very good job of that in entering Big 12 play. But, for the sake of my own sanity, yes. My thing is that Tech's weaknesses are so glaring, and it's not even scheme weaknesses, it's personnel and unit weaknesses. They're so obvious that it's near impossible to not take advantage of them because to not take advantage of some of these weaknesses would be telling position groups to not try. So, (laughs) for example, the defensive line should be able to take advantage of the offensive line of Tech because our D-line is markedly better than their O-line. They're... We would have to have Mike Tuiasa Sopo and Buddy Wyatt tell our defensive linemen to stand up and do nothing for us to not take advantage You're of their You're all on line. QB spy duty. Yes, that is what would be required for us not to take advantage of that. For our offensive line, we'd have to just not block their defensive line. I mean, there's some weaknesses that we couldn't not take advantage of if we tried. So, yeah. with that being said, there's a few that remain to be seen uh like will we pick on uh the one defensive back whose name is evading me number seven all i remember yeah his name yeah he's number seven adrian fry uh i'm gonna get fried in coverage oh god i hope so (laughs) (laughs) kanan garber gonna make his one catch to make himself known on the roster trebaston taylor will return in the blaze of glory also where has he been elsewhere (laughs) like i remember there were being rumors that he would be healthy for stanford potentially and he just he's just in warm-ups and that's it and then he's gone i've seen him take maybe three or four snaps this entire year like he's just completely fallen off the face of the earth after for a brief time being wide receiver one last year yep (laughs) gosh that's weird yeah but basically i think we will take advantage and spot some of tech's weaknesses Please. I, I think we, we have to. We we physically have to. We physically have to. Alright. It's a it's just part of playing the game. Alright. So now let's talk about projected offensive and defensive MVPs. We're opening up Deuce Vaughn as a selection for offensive MVP. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Deuce Vaughn will be your offensive MVP. Me too. I mean going into this game, it's who else? Joe. Maybe Joe. Joe, Yeah, Joe Irvin. Skyler, maybe. Cooper Beebe. Cooper Beebe is always a... That's, that's a fun pick. Like, I love tackle. Ty's... <laughs> he has a great leg, man. Not again. Not again. Ty Zentner has been an invaluable member of this football team. I think he should win the Ray Guy Award, personally. I do, too. I mean, he's actually averaging, like, almost 50 yards a punt. Like, that it's is not un- an ironic take. Like, it's unbelievable what he is doing. Like that man has a, a howitzer on his leg. They took Will Howard's arm strength, what remained, and <laughs> transferred it to his leg. Yeah, yeah, and they, yeah, they put it on Ty Zentner's leg. So yeah, Deuce Vaughn MVP. So defensively, I have King, Felix, and DK Uzoma, just because their offensive line is so bad. I have Mr. Timothy Horn. Because their offensive line is so bad. Timmy Horn is a massive human being, and their interior O-line's pretty bad, and he is just so large. We're putting our strongest D-linemen directly lined up on their weakest O-linemen. They will triple-team him, and it will not matter. <laughs> that's, the, that, that's the best part. And that's not ironic. Take. That's not ironic. I literally think they will triple-team him, and he will push them back anyways. He will be MVP. Like I, it's gonna be either him or King Felix, I think, unless like Echo gets like two picks or something. They're not gonna challenge Echo. Yep. No, um, no way to throw against Echo Island. Yeah. So score projections. I'm done. I'm not. I'm conscientiously objecting from score projections. I think K State will win, but I'm not giving a score. I am going with a bold prediction. I think the Cats are going to win 42-21. I think they double up. The Red Raiders, the tortilla throwers of Lubbock, Texas. But I, I'm saying that because they just have such 
obvious glaring weaknesses. Like, I say that their weakest links are far worse than any of our weakest links. Like, our weakest links are probably right now what linebacker, like a middle field coverage, which kind of goes hand in hand, mm-hmm. and then like secondary tackling. Mm-hmm. But like, their offensive line is not just one of the worst offensive lines in the Big 12, it is one of the worst units, period, in the Big 12. Our linebackers are pretty bad, but they are not that bad, bad. No. because we have a daniel green they do not have a daniel green we have hulk <laughs> yeah they are they're just bad yeah like like there are ways in which we can win this game with one or two units having pretty good days they don't even need to be elite or great they just need to be pretty good the cats theoretically should be able to dominate this game if k-state loses this game i might burn my house down okay so that wraps up this preview edition of the Aggieville Alley Cats. If you want to contact us, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville ACATS. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. We recently hit 250 followers, and Friday's episode will contain our first episode of Ask the Alley Cats, where you can ask us any questions you so want. If you want to follow us on a more personal level, I am at ACEdward00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C and capital B. If you want to support the show in a more financial way, please be sure to check out our merch store, where we have such designs as Play Sandstorm Cowards and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.